0: Today's sermon comes from Isaiah 62, 1 through 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. And you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I want you to remember back when you were a child, if you can recall this moment, when you were begging your mom and dad for a quarter to put in that gumball machine, it was full of these beautiful plastic trinkets. Mom, down, I need a quarter so I can get one of those trinkets out of the gumball machine. Now, today that you're on the parent side of it and you watch your kids do that and you realize, well, I don't know that they can go on living to put in that gumball machine to get that plastic drink. if you were to give a young child the option for the choice between a 25 cent gumball machine plastic ring and a real diamond ring I don't think it's hard to imagine that that child will probably choose the first option. But right? who can resist it? This big, pink, colorful, shiny, plastic ring. Impossible to resist, right? Now, if you were to give an adult woman the choice between a 25-cent gumball machine ring and a real diamond ring, by and large, she's going to choose the real diamond ring. Why? What's the difference? Well, it's maturity. Right? She's grown in, to, to she's grown in her understanding of value and her appreciation of beauty. Whether you realize it or not, you and I face a similar choice every day. And it's the choice between gumball machine happiness and indestructible lasting joy. And I would say that most of us, and I include myself in that most of us, like young children, choose that gumball machine Happiness. But here's where the difference comes. From. We don't choose that because of the lack of the church. We choose that because we're blind to the one event in human history that produces indestructible joy. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now why? Why does the resurrection of Jesus Christ produce indestructible joy? Isaiah 62 is pointing. First, because his resurrection gives you a new record. Look at verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. For for Zion's sake, that means for my people's sake. And I in that first verse is referring to the anointed one that got introduced to us at the beginning of Isaiah 61. And Jesus in Luke 4 says quoting from Isaiah 61, I am the anointed one. So verse 1 really reads, I, Jesus, will not keep silent, will not remain quiet, until the righteousness of his people and the salvation of his people shines forth. Jesus won't stop until he, or wouldn't stop, until he secured your righteousness. Now, you and I are unrighteous. We're sinful. I don't know that any of us in this room would claim to be perfect. None of us are perfect. We're unrighteous. God is. God is righteous. He's perfect. He's whole. And only those who are sinless and perfect can stand in his presence and live. Only those who are perfectly righteous can stand in his presence and live. Jesus wouldn't stop until he had secured this righteousness for his people. Now, what did this look like? Well, in Luke chapter 4, we learned that Jesus was led into the desert for 40 days by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. By the end of 40 days, he was hungry and in a very weakened state. And it was in that very weakened state that the devil came to him and said, Turn these stones into bread. You're the Son of God. Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. And he resisted that to secure your righteousness. And then again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's moments away from this brutal crucifixion on the cross, he's facing his brutal death on the cross. And he's tempted to find another way. Is there another way I can secure your righteousness because this is going to be so hard. And yet he resisted to secure your righteousness. And then, of course, when he's hanging on the cross and he's being mocked and the religious leaders are telling him, listen, if you're God, if you're the Son of God, then come down and save yourself. And if you do that, then we'll believe in you. Jesus' course of life on this earth was before him was the righteousness of his people and he would not stop. He would not until he had security. When the Titanic crashed in 1912 into an iceberg the ship's resources, light electricity, were in danger of failure. And on this ship were a group of electricians and engineers were down in the boiler rooms, and their job was to keep electricity going for the ship. And certainly, when the ship crashed into the iceberg, it became even more important that electricity would be remain would remain on the ship for a couple reasons. Number one, they needed the light on so that people could find their way to safety. Number two, they needed the wireless telegraph so they could send telegraphs of "We need help. We need rescue." And then even to to lower the lifeboats off the the ship into the water to save people, all that had to happen. And the only way that could happen is if the lights and the electricity stayed on. And so these engineers and these electricians stayed down in the boiler. They stayed. They didn't run up to the deck to save themselves. They stayed and kept the el- electricity going on the ship. In fact, all the way until the wireless telegraph telegraph was active and running up until just 10 minutes before the ship sank. The lights were going until two minutes before the ship sank. Now, over 1,500 people died. But there would have been a lot more deaths if they wouldn't have stayed they stayed not saving themselves because all 25 engineers all 10 electricians stayed in that boiler and ended up perishing Jesus stayed on the cross he stayed there he didn't come down he didn't save himself why because he wouldn't stop until he had secured the righteousness of his people, your righteousness. Now, you say, wait a minute, but we're talking about the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ giving us a new record and righteousness. Yes, we are. His death was the payment. And his resurrection was the receipt of payment. The receipt, that said, yes. He paid it to secure your righteousness, your new record. Romans 10, 9 to 10, says it this way. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. That word justified means declared righteous. Meaning when you believe that Jesus rose from the dead for you, You are handed the receipt of payment, and you are instantly declared righteous and perfect and holy in God's sight. Now, I want you to imagine you have a criminal record, and you've got a criminal record, and someone wants to do a background check on you. What what does that produce inside? when you've got a criminal record and somebody wants to run a background check? You. Lots of anxiety. Right? Lots of fear. And am I still going to get that job if they run this background check and see my past? Or am I going to be able to serve if they run this background check and see my past? Now, I want you to imagine the background check comes back clean. What would you think? Well, number one, you'd be shocked. And then what's the second thing you'd think? They must have run on a different person. They must have run that background check on a different person. Now, some of you in this room have a criminal record that you can absolutely relate to what I'm talking about. But many of you don't have a criminal record. Let me level the playing field right now. Every one of us has a sin record and it's bad. It's really bad. It's a sin record and it's bad, and yet here is the good news in what we are reading here in Isaiah 62. When you believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you, perfect, righteous life, and you believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your imperfect, unrighteous life, and you believe that he rose from the dead to give you receipt of payment, you are declared righteous instantaneously, you are given in that moment of faith the record of Jesus, the perfect record of Jesus given to you, credited to your account, such that if God, so to speak, were to run a background check on you, it would come back. why does Christ's resurrection produce indestructible joy? If that doesn't produce joy, I don't know what will. That's good news. That's powerful news. You have a new record. Second, though, why does Christ's resurrection produce indestructible joy? Because it gives you a new record. Second, Christ's resurrection gives you a new identity. A new identity. Look at verse two. The nations shall see your righteousness; they shall see your new record, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. Now, name in the language of the Bible means identity. I give you an example of this in Genesis chapter eleven. God's people decided, hey, we're going to start this amazing building project. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to build a skyscraper. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be called the Tower of Babel. They started building this tower. Why were they building it? Genesis 11 4 says this Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And here it is. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They were building this tower to make a name for themselves. Say, why? Well, a couple chapters earlier, in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world and separated our first parents and their descendants from God. And so rather than receiving their identity from God, their meaning reading from God, now they have to go out and construct it, find it, make a name for themselves, construct an identity. Tim Keller in his book, Every Good and Better summarizes it as well. to so make a name in the language of the Bible is to construct an identity for ourselves. We either get our name, our defining essence, security, worth, and uniqueness from what God has done for us and in us, add okay, there through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or we make a name through what we can do for ourselves. The powerful part of Isaiah 62 is look what it says. It says, "You shall be called by a new name that God that God God gives you your identity." Through the work of Jesus Christ. You receive that identity, you receive that name, versus constructing it and trying to make it. Several years ago, at the, the Golden Globes ceremony, uh, actor and comedian Jim Carrey said this very intriguing statement as he was announcing the nominees for Best Motion Picture in Comedy. This is what he said. To Hollywood, elite, yeah. For this ceremony, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm just not a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe-winning actor Jen Ferrier. Because then, I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. Now, all the actors and the actors gathered at that ceremony in their gowns and their tuxedos doubled over and laughed. But it was a nervous laugh. Because they knew that what he had said hit very close down. They relate. what would you insert for two-time Golden Globe winners? Expected leader, successful businessman or businesswoman, beloved mom or dad, all-star athlete, class nice magazine cover body maybe. finds you, you say, well, okay listen, I hear what you're saying. But how do I know if I'm receiving my name and my identity from God, or if I'm constructing an identity, how do I tell the difference?" Let's say one leads to indestructible joy, the other leads to deep anxiety. The anxiety that is produced by, am I respected enough? Or am I successful enough? Or am I light enough? Or am I pretty enough? Or am I funny enough? Or am I enough? When you're defined by the resurrected Christ and the resurrected Christ alone. You will find a joy. And a joy that's indestructible. So why does Christ's resurrection produce an indestructible joy? You've seen it. it. gives you a new record. It gives you a new identity. But finally, it gives you a restored dignity. A restored dignity. Look at verse 4. When I say dignity, I mean worthy of honor and respect. That's what dignity means. Worthy of honor or respect. Verse 4. You shall no more be turned forsaken and your land shall no more be turned desolate. Now remember the context of this book of Isaiah. God's people had turned from him. And because of their sin, they were going to be removed from their homeland and sent into exile in Babylon. Removed from home, sent into exile, they would feel forsaken and abandoned by God. And their homeland, Jerusalem, and the temple there destroyed, the city brought to the ground, left to absolute ruins, they would feel ruined, they would feel desolate. And so both of those words capture what God's people felt, which was abandonment and ruin. Abandonment and ruin. I think if, if, if we're honest with ourselves, those two words are words that can get over. The feeling of abandonment. Maybe you have such a sinful past that you you feel convinced of God's abandonment of you. Or maybe you grew up in your family of origin and you experienced abandonment. We understand what that feels like. Or ruin. Because of sinful choices you've made in your past, because of poor choices you've made, you feel, in many ways, ruined as a human being. Loss of dignity. Now the beauty of this passage is that it doesn't end there. Though that's what we may feel, though those are words that can oftentimes describe our experience in life because of sin and brokenness, we see because of Jesus' resurrection that it doesn't end there. Because of his death and resurrection and faith in him, You're called something very different now. See now, look at the end of verse 4. But you shall be called my delight is in her, and your land Mary. Those are both names in Hebrew. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be Mary. My delight in her replaces forsaken and married replaces desolate or ruined. No longer are you ab- abandoned or forsaken, you're the object of God's glory. No longer are you desolate, but your life now is fruitful. One pastor recalled the time when he was speaking at a prison in a large audience. He had about 5,000 inmates at this he wasn't on a stage. He was on the ground in this prison yard outside. He had a microphone, but as he said, when he began to speak to these 5,000 inmates, only the couple hundred in front of him were actually paying attention. Though the microphone and the speakers did blast across the entire yard, everybody could hear. And so he pulled out a $50 bill, and he held it up. he said which of you would like this $50 bill and 5,000 hands went up he had their attention he took that $50 bill he crumpled it up and then he kind of ripped it a little bit and he held it back up and he said which of you still wants this $50 bill 5,000 hands went up Took the $50 bill, and he spit on it, he put it down the ground, he put his foot on it, and he, and he grinded it into the dirt. And he picked that $50 bill back up and he held it up and he said, how many of you still want this $50 bill? $5,000. This is what he said. Now, for many of you, this is what your father did. You've been mistreated, you've been abused, you've been misused, you were told that you wouldn't amount to anything. You've done a lot of dumb things too. You've sinned. You've done some crimes and you're paying for them. You've been beaten, you've been torn, you've been dirty. But you have not lost one cent of your value to God. God restores dignity to ruined human beings. If you had a define history, and to find God's worth in history, it is that he restores dignity to ruined human beings. Now you may say, that sounds great. How do we know that? Because God He became a human being in the person of Jesus. He put on flesh. And just like that $50 bill, he was mocked. He was spit on. He was dishonored. He was rejected. You talk about dignity laws. Human dignity laws. Just read the last week of Jesus' life as we did for this whole book. Talk about the loss of human dignity and how he was treated. But the good news is Jesus lost dignity so that your dignity could be restored because he didn't stay in the grave. He came out of the grave in a glorified human body that will never lose dignity again. I don't know that there's any greater affirmation of the human body and of, of the human experience than Jesus Christ having a glorified human body for eternity, including right now. And his glorified human body gives you a vision for the future eternal human experience that is before you if you have trusted Jesus Christ. You know, there's this this theme that goes on in our culture that that when you have just ruined yourself through poor decisions, through sinful decisions, and you've just ruined your life, there's, there's this kind of thought that goes around of, oh, just can't wait till I get free from this body. In fact, there are a number of man-made religions, world religions, that are developed around the theme of this ruined human experience. It's it's going to be gone one day. We're going to be lifted out of your body. You're going to be released from your body, and then everything will be fine. The gospel says something very high. The gospel of Jesus Christ says no. Your human body is going to be redeemed. And dignity is going to be restored to for eternity. That's what Jesus does. He restores dignity to the human experience. You know, Jesus didn't come to make you less human. He actually came to make you more human, as God designed you. God loves bodies. He made them. And you're going to have one for you. And Jesus' glorified body coming out of that grave says, here is a picture of the body you're going to have. No more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more disease, no more sickness, no more surgeries, no more betrayal, no more mocking, no more hurt, no more rejection, all that you experience in the body, Jesus' glorified body coming out of the grave says, your future will have none of that. He restores people in a human experience. You're the object of God's delight. And if God's delight, that restores your dignity. Now here's what's interesting. You might ask, what does that look like? God's delight. How do I get my hands on the fact that God delights over me? Well, God as he, as he typically does in the scriptures when there's a, an abstract concept that's it's hard to get our hands around. It. Like God's delight over he gives us an image that we can connect and he does it here he gives us the image of marriage verse 5 for as a young man marries a young woman so shall your sons marry you and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride so shall your God rejoice over you God compares his delight over you to that of a bridegroom rejoicing over his bride. I have the privilege of doing a number of marriages, and officiating a number of marriages, and every time I stand up front with the bridegroom, the minute those doors swing open and the bride begins to walk down the aisle, I always seek a peek. And if you guys have been to weddings, you, you see, oftentimes that bridegroom just starts to tease there's so much delight as he looks at his brother. That's the picture that God gives him, of his delight. God's delight over you restores your dignity that has been stripped by sin and brokenness. Johnny Garrison Todd who was paralyzed in a dying accident as a teenager. She describes her wedding then. Listen to this. I felt awkward as my girlfriends strained to shift my paralyzed body into a cumbersome wedding gown. No amount of corseting and binding my body gave me a perfect shape. The dress just didn't fit then, as I was wheeling into the church, I glanced down and noticed that I'd accidentally run over the hem of my dress, leaving a greasy tire mark. My paralyzed hand couldn't hold the bouquet of daisies that lay off center on my lap. And my chair, though decorated for the wedding, was still a big, Funky gray machine with belts, gears, and ball bearings. I certainly didn't feel like the picture perfect bride in a bridal magazine. I inched my chair closer to the last pew to catch a glimpse of Ken in the front. There he was standing tall and stately in his formal attire. I saw him looking for me, craning his neck to look up the eye. My face flushed, and I suddenly couldn't wait to be with him. I had seen my blood. The loving kid's face had washed away all my Feelings of unworthiness. I was his pure and perfect bride. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Are you haunted by your past? Are you defined by something that you now you know is going to come to an end at some point? Has sin and brokenness stolen your dignity? Look to the resurrected Christ. Find a new record, a new identity. Yeah. with ourselves. Deep joy is hard to find. We can resonate with a gumball machine happiness that kind of comes and goes. It's dependent on circumstances and situations. But the deep joy seems elusive, and it is elusive. Father, apart from you, for those here have never looked to the resurrected Christ, Father. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would draw their gaze to the risen Savior, where they would find the joy that is indestructible. Father, for those that are here that feel like their life has been ruined by poor choices, by sin, by the hurt and the abuse of others. Father, would you remind them that they have lost one cent of value in your eye. And if they question that, they would just fix their eyes on what we've been through this past week as we've looked at the the death of Christ and his resurrection. Father, would the resurrection of Christ give them great assurance that receipt that they have dignity and value in your eye and that you're restoring that dignity? And giving them a new identity. Oh, Father, as we we'll close now in worship, would we sing to you and would the lyrics and the words of these songs weigh deeply on our hearts in assurance of your love, not just your love, but your delight over your children. right off of this in Christ's name.